with me to the book of John, John chapter 15. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So we're going to look and see where the Bible tells us so. Amen. John 15, 9. The Lord Jesus said, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. As the Father hath loved me, as the same degree and level and measure, so have I loved you. And then look in chapter uh, 16, verse 27. You're right there. He said again, for the Father himself loveth you. Well, that's pretty plain, isn't it? The Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and they have and have believed that I came out from God. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Um, it's not enough to believe that God loves me. We have to believe God loves me now. It's a real important point that, uh, that he loves us like people at a family reunion. He loves me. But God loves me. He loves us right now. In the midst of our mess, in the midst of our troubles, we cannot offer any some days, Lord, I'll get this right, and then I know you can love me easier or better. The truth is we know he cannot, you cannot do anything to make him love you more than he loves right now. The, uh, the Amplified Version says, at that time you will, uh, let's see, 1627. Yes, at that time you will ask in my name, and I, and I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So he's talking to his disciples that are not born again, and he's telling them about the new birth. He said, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for it will be unnecessary. For the Father himself tenderly loves you. For the Father himself tenderly loves me. Can we say it together? For the Father himself tenderly loves me. That's the truth that'll change your life. If you know that, if you know that, and you don't know hardly anything else, if anything, you will live, an un, you will live a life that cannot be inconvenienced. If you know that God loves you right now and that he loves you tenderly, he said, for the father himself tenderly loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from the father. The passion version <laughs> I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf, for you'll ask him directly because of your new relationship with me. Amen. For the Father tenderly loves you because you love me. So we love Jesus and the Father loves us because of that. Everything turns on the Lord Jesus. He's the focus of everything that's in the kingdom. So if you know that God loves you tenderly and loves you right now, and cannot do anything more, to, you cannot do anything more for him to love you more, then you're set. I said, we're set. He loves you, he's maxed out in you, and you cannot have an inconvenient life. All of our inconvenience in life is because we don't know, we don't have a confidence and assurance that he loves me. Turn with me to Romans chapter five, if you would. Romans chapter five. 
Let's talk about God is very much in love with me. Romans chapter five. Now, the reason we're doing this is because it's the word, it's the truth, and we should know the truth because when you know the truth, that truth sets you free. But we're also setting up a qualifier that messes up most people. I have found that we always, when we go to lay hands on somebody that's sick, we always qualify them in our own heart. And they'll say, well, you know, I've not been like I should be. And what do we say? We say, ah, Jesus loves you just like you are. What you've done and what you're doing is no problem. Jesus will heal you right now. And we know that. And we just qualify everybody of everything. If there's something really going on in their life, we might ask them, well, let's just deal with that. Let's just repent of that. Let's just confess that out, get forgiveness. And then you're qualified to receive everything you need. But when it comes to ourselves, I have found my own self and everybody else that we don't qualify ourselves so easily. We tend to have it in our mind what we've done or not done, what we thought that nobody knows about. They'll say, well, you're qualified. But if they knew what I knew about me, well, then they might not say so. So we disqualify ourselves because we're not sure in reality, in practice, that God loves me right now. If we knew that, if we knew that there was nothing that we could fix, rectify or change in order for him to love us more, we're good. We're as good as it can be. We have topped out the, the chart. Then we would be more qualified than we have been. Romans chapter five talks about that. It says, hope maketh not a shame. Why does hope maketh not a shame? The first four verses there talk about hope and experience. And it says, and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love of God is right now shed abroad in our hearts. The, um, the, uh, the New Living says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We know how dearly God loves us. So let's just stop for a moment and deal with that truth. And everything that's resisted that, everything that's said, you know, I know he wants to and I wish I could do better and, and I wish I hadn't done what I did. And I know that's always in front of him. I know that he, I can't get over it, so I don't see how he can get over it. We need to just stop it. God loves me dearly right now. There's nothing I could do. And we even understand that with our own children that have often disappointed us, have rejected us as parents, someone in our family that we love them, we did well by them, we supplied for them, we raised them right. And then suddenly something we do just sets them off. And it's like everything is just flush that we did right. And suddenly we have to start all the way over. And something we've done or not done, said or not said, suddenly that's the main event that measures their love towards us. And so we would understand, knowing that, how God could be disappointed in us. Because we're a 24-7 people. We, everything we do and say and think and it's always on the table. It's always the clock ticking. But he said it doesn't matter. That he is not basing his love on our performance. He loves us and love is a choice. 
Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Once you decide, you have to undecide because it has nothing to do with feelings and affection. It has nothing to do with performance. It's a decision. And he has decided because of Jesus, because of Jesus, to love us unconditionally. Now, your life will change when that's in practice. You may say, oh, I believe that. I get along with that. I know that. And yeah, we would all agree. But in practice, how do you react to events in your life? When you go to move the mountain, what comes up? I couldn't do that. That's too big a mountain for little old me. And it's because of this very thing. He says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given unto us. Amen. Uh, hold your finger there and slip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go east two books. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go to verse 17. Now we're going to dig deep. We're going to go into foundations here. We're going to do things that you go, listen, we already know that, but we're not reviewing for information. We're tamping down the foundation. We got lots of information. It's in our head. It's an ascent. It's in our mind. It's in your soul. And you know things and you know it's true. You can quote them. You can debate them. You can qualify yourself for it. But practice is what comes out of what's inside of us that is a basis. That is the, the, the end all of what? When you, when you say, this is who I am, therefore this is what I can do, what I can have, that is how you're living. If you don't feel qualified to prosper, it's because you don't know God loves me right now. When you're not, when you're not, when you're willing to put up with sickness or pain or something, it's because we are willing to put up with some sort of variation of God loves me. It says in verse 17, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, be in Christed, one version says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, creature, creation, a new creation. What is that new creation? Well, we've been regenerated. The Lord took out the old man that we were and put the new man that he is inside of us. He left our soul intact, so our personality, our, we, we didn't like chocolate. We still don't like chocolate. Wouldn't you all feel sorry for someone that didn't like chocolate? <laughs> Bless the Lord. So, but it's, our soul stays intact, so it's like changing out the battery in your car. If it was a 5.3 uh, cubic in, uh, uh, liter engine, it's still that. The battery changed. And that's what he did. He changed out that part. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so we've been regenerated. And when we were regenerated, something happened. We couldn't feel it. You didn't get a descriptor. You didn't get a thing in the, in the, in the packaging that said, here's what you got and here's the instructions and here's your warranty. Nothing came with that apart from this. We don't know anything about the new birth except what's in here. There's no feelings. There's no corroborating evidence from somebody else. Everything that you know about who you are is in here. Your, your experience, your, uh, your, uh, your feelings about it, what you think is right, I think this is the way you should have done it. Or I think this is the way it is. It has nothing to do with anything. It is what the Word says. And he said that he put the God kind of faith inside of you and me, the God kind of love 
the God kind of peace, the God kind of hope is in you and I. It was moved in at the new birth. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are a new creation. So we have to believe that. Well, what's that called? It's called faith. You believe what the word says because you don't have any feelings that tell you difference. In verse 21, he says, for he hath made him who knew no sin, excuse me, he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So suddenly this new creation, this new man that you are, has been described, it's been itemized, it's been descripted. The old man that you were is gone. The unrighteous man is taken out of the way. And a new man, a righteous man, a man that is acceptable to God is inside of you and me. You go, well, I didn't get that feeling. I didn't either. At the new birth, did you get a feeling at the new birth? Um, some people do. Some people say, oh, I just got goosebumps or the hair on my head or whatever. It didn't happen for me and it didn't happen to most people. You just have to accept it. Same thing with the Holy Ghost. Lots of people deny it. It's like, oh, that's just me. I'm not really speaking in tongues, an unknown tongue. That's just me making it up. Well, you never did it before. And yet it was happening. So uh, in, in, let's go back to Romans chapter five. Let's look in verse six. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Jordan, would you get me the amplified version, please, off, off that table? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, when's the last word, time you used that word? Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Look up Romans 5 for me. But look in verse 8. But God commended his love toward us, how did he commend his love toward us? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. Let's look at, let's look, look at it in the Amplified. Verse 6. While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time Christ died for in behalf of the ungodly. Now it is an extraordinary thing. Can y'all think about how extraordinary it is to give your life for somebody? Who that'd have to be? It's a short list. For it's an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an unright man, upright man. Though perhaps for a noble and lovable man and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us. God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. And there it is. There was no performance to merit his love when we were born again. There is no performance merited now to retain his love. We were sinners when he died for us. And so we, even though we are the righteous now, we cannot maintain it by works. 
not by works of righteousness, which he has done, but according to his mercy, his goodness, he has saved us. Verse 9 says, therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right revelation with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain is it that we shall be saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God? So we could go to John, uh, John 3, 16 and say, for God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, if he gave Jesus for the world, how much more do we qualify as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? If he loved the world, he sure loves you and me. We've been acquitted and changed. Amen. Um, actually, in... Uh, when in John, John chapter 15, 16, when he told them that God loved them, they were really not even born again. And so they couldn't really fathom what God was talking about because in the Old Testament, everything was done on works. So when he tells them in Luke chapter seven to love your enemies, they actually were not capable of loving their enemies. Y'all know why they couldn't love their enemies? Because the love of God that shed, was not yet shed abroad in their hearts. So they couldn't. They had nothing in them in order to love their enemies. So when we act like that with the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we are acting like the unrighteous. Is that right? And it's just when we do that, we're saying, well, God, I can't love them. And therefore, I don't know how you're loving me. It's the same thing. God's not mad at anybody. People say God, uh, God is good all the time. But what we really ought to say is God's not mad at anybody. Turn with me to, uh, let's, let's go to Romans chapter 2. You're right there. Let's slip back to Romans chapter 2. Thank you. Now here is the major disruption in the body of Christ about doctrine and dogma and what is true. I went into the Tuscaloosa County Jail and uh, I was sharing with them about the love of God. And they always told me, don't let anybody that's in there get between you and the door because they can be a little unruly. So I began to share with them about how much God loved them and uh, and how heavenward we were, even though they had committed things that they were obviously probably in there for. Uh, it was alleged that they were in there for things. And I talked to them about the serial killer had killed several people. And yet on his way in death row to the death chamber, uh, they let him spend time with someone and he got born again. Just in time. He had done no good work. He had only done terrible things. And then we talked about their grandmothers, people that are in, I guess all people, but especially people in, in jail, it seems like have a propensity that the most holy person in their life, in their world, is their, either their mother or their grandmother. So I said, what about if you had a grandmother and she went to church and took your nephews and nieces to church and she... She was in the bake sale and she was in the, in the uh, Christmas chorus 
but she had never made Jesus the Lord of her life. She went to church, was a church member. Everybody, she was always there, but she'd never made Jesus the Lord of the life. What would happen when each one of them died? And, and I explained it just like I explained this. And everybody said, the bad man went to hell and the grandmother went to heaven. And they could not, and so we talked about it, they could not get around that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. And it's just a, it's a portrait of what almost all religion thinks. And all religions in the world are based on what you do. What you do is determines your end versus what Jesus did. So that substitution, that transition where he became who we were so we could take on who he is, it can't hardly be fathomed. Matter of fact, it cannot be fathomed by the mind. You have to have it by faith. So when I tell them the grandma went to hell, they tried to get between me and the door. It was serious. I mean, these guys were like, hey, dude, don't you say that about my grandmother. I mean, they took it personal. I mean, I, you know, I was throwing grandma into the bus. I, I said, your mother wears army boots or something. You know, it was just, it was so offensive to them. And they never, a lot of them never got to it. They, they, they couldn't handle that. And that was the reason that they were so hopeless in jail. They knew what they had done and they knew there was no forgiveness for that. Therefore, they were doomed. And what have they got to lose? They just would get out of jail and go back to doing the same thing because they were already reprobate. There was no hope for them. And that's what most of the world, how they think on a more reserved level, they think that very thing. And even here at River Church, we have to pack it in and pound it down and make sure we remember God loves me right now. He's very much in love with me, not just like, well, he's tolerating me. He loves me more than anybody. So in Romans chapter two, we go to this verse here. Verse three, let's say, thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and doest the same. So he's talking about people that preach one thing and then go and do the very thing they preach against and doest the same, that thou shall escape the judgment of God or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance. In other words, you discount his nature, his character, his, his work towards you. You discount that not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So here we have a verse that tells us completely the opposite of what men expect and how our judgment system on earth works. That we expect that when you commit a crime and they catch you, there's going to be a penalty, a punishment. We do that with our children. We tell them don't do it. Suddenly we come back in the kitchen and the cookie jar is completely empty and nobody is up owning it. There's, there's judgment. There's some sort of penalty that's coming. But the Lord's not that way. And, and we can hardly get across to our own selves how good he is. We struggle, not that he's good to the world, but that he's good to me. Because we constantly are under condemnation. 
the devil accuses the brethren and went into that condemnation. So people don't thank God for his goodness because they believe he's sovereign in the earth. He's in control. We talked a little bit about this last Sunday, that if you think God's in control, then the love of God is irrelevant. He's just going to control it for his good and for his benefit. And I'm just a pawn down here that he's shuffling around like one of those old football games where they put the little players on the board and it vibrated and everything. Everything just moved where it would go and you would win or lose the game based on the vibration. You put your finger on the end of it and get your guy to go across there. But it was totally a sovereign game. Nobody knew what was going to do. No skill was involved. Well, that's the way a lot of people believe life is. We're all just on the magnet on the uh, the vibrating board and we're all just moving around according to how God wants us to go. So uh, they say they believe that he only really cares for the good folks. And that's part of the turmoil that's in our nation right now is because we don't factor God in to anything. It's totally what man thinks and what man wants to do. And everybody else is just up to it's up to their luck. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, you're right there. We find another scripture that's like chapter 2, verse 4. I mean, you ought to meditate chapter 2, verse 4. Do you not know it's the goodness of God that leadeth these to repentance? So God's not punishing us to change us. He's not withholding from us to change us. He's not directing our lives in any way to change us. How could a God that when we rebel against him, disobey him, are selfishly involved with ourselves and disregard him, how could his response be anything but to correct that and change that and move that around by denying us, putting pressure on us, bringing pain and suffering into our life? How could it be any different? Yet he says that he immediately goes into action and starts bringing good on the rebellious, starts bringing his best in line for someone that's going contrary, that it's not his badness, but it's his goodness that he's using to change us. If only we knew. This is one of the most powerful concepts of the new covenant. It's the goodness of God that he brings to change us. So it's your baddest. He might be blessing you with his goodest. You go, that can't be right. That's exactly how it is. There is no judgment in the earth except for seed time and harvest. There's judgment with our words. Whatsoever, uh, whatever you say is what's coming back. You, you enforce it, and what you sow is what you're going to reap. But besides that, there's no heavenly judgment based on what you and I do. He's good all the time. Now, the problem with that, or the challenge to that, is people say, look, I did bad things and nothing bad. No lightning came. No, nobody died. I didn't lose my job. Therefore, and it's after that therefore that we get messed up, God must not care what I do. 
But eventually the prodigal comes to himself. And we've all been that same prodigal where the father was waiting for the son with goodness, the ring, the fatted calf, the sandals and the robe. He was always waiting and he's still always waiting for us. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Let's read it together. Verse one and two. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, if you look that up in verse one, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, that's not even in the earliest transcripts, the earliest versions. You can leave it there. But it was added about in the year 200. It was added to the scriptures because no one could believe. No one could say there was no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In other words, they were bad. They were good people doing bad things and there was no consequence. Now, you know that there's a consequence that if you sow a bad thing, you murder somebody. <laughs> there is a consequence, but it's not from heaven. It's in the world. So the law of sin and death means the man who sins shall surely die. And yet. Jesus died for us. When we deserve to die. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus means that even when you do bad things. Because of Jesus, grace is released. You can't lose with the stuff we use. It is so wonderful. Who can believe this? It's beyond our comprehension how good God is. We cannot get our head around it. And until you're born again, you really don't understand it. It's, a, it's definitely a faith thing. So we struggle with that because the devil, the accuser of the brethren, is bringing our past to us. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. We're talking about how much God loves you and me. Literally, God is very much in love with me right now. So why don't get people get healed? Why do people not get their prayers answered? Well, it must be God withholding because there must be some secret sin. Uh, when back in the dark ages and and even since then, when people were stricken with some affliction, like if they lost a baby or if someone died tragically, they always said, they did something bad and we don't know what it was, but this is the penalty, the punishment, the penalty for that. But there's just a devil out there. It says in Ephesians chapter three, let's look in verse uh, uh, 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he, praying here, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, according to his standard, 
to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Isn't that a good verse? Strengthened by our might in the inner man, his might by in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted, fixed and established and grounded, settled and stabilized in love, the God kind of love, agape, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And then in the end of verse 19, it says that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's put that in first person. That I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's do it better. That I might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, that's your potential. That's the capacity. That's God's finish line to fill you with the fullness of God. So better is not his best. When we got born again and we started serving God, it got better. And better is always better than good. But it's not what he had in mind. He wants to change everything about our life. We, we said last week that the word filled there, filled with the good, fullness of God, it means to be abounding, to furnish liberally, to complete to full measure. So even though God's not finished with us yet, uh, God is finished with us, we say God's not finished with us yet, it's on my side to let him have his way. I'm letting him have his way. So there's more. There's more. As Christians, we are to be the demonstration in the earth. Y'all, we're to be demonstrators. It doesn't really matter if you drive the best or live in the best or eat the best or whatever. Not so much that God wants you to be a show off. But he has solved all of our problems, our challenges, our troubles. He's he's met every once of them, uh, every one of them. And he wants us to demonstrate to the world. So when the world sees us in the church struggling just like them and depressed just like them and having troubles that make us worried and depressed just like them, they are unimpressed. They don't care about your gospel, about your Jesus. They care about can they pay their rent? Can they get their baby some help that's got a headache or sick or whatever, can they get their day-to-day -day troubles met? That's what they care about. So you have the gospel in you as you demonstrate your life and as you go and help them. Uh, verse 20, let's read 19 again. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly and above all we ask or think, here it is, according to the power that worketh in us. So there's nothing left beyond the new birth to empower us. Everything we need to demonstrate exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, which is in the faith realm, beyond the mind realm, is already within us. The love of God is in me to have his best days of heaven on earth. Now, we're not going after that. We just want to be filled with God. 
But that's what it looks like when it comes to pass. When it comes in you, it starts coming out. Prosperity. Like Lynn said this morning, it comes out generosity. Love is measured by generosity. So the man says, I love much, but he's not generous. He's working out of two different realms. Let's see if we have time. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4, would you? 1 John chapter 4, and we'll wind up here. We really will. <laughs> we really will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. There's, there's somebody like that everywhere. Beloved, let us love one another, verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So at the new birth, we were born of God. Now we could look at a verse in uh, Galatians that says that God is love. So love, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here it says, let us love one another. Let us agape one another. Unconditional love. Why can or how can we do that? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. For love is of God and everyone that loveth know, is born of God and knoweth God. So anyone that cannot love is not born of God. How do you tell? That's the test right there. You can tell. So we get the love of God downloaded into us at the new birth. And so you can tell if someone says they got saved or, or whatever, but the love of God is not operating, they did not get born again. The love of God is downloaded in us at the new birth, and we have it. And then it says, knoweth God. What do we know about God? Here's what we know. Knoweth is born of God. And knoweth God, we know that God loves me right now. That's what we know of God. We don't have to know anything else. Well, will he do this? Well, will he do that? God loves me right now. Yes, he will. Yes, he's on my side. Um, Galatians 5, I'm going to read in verse 6. For if we are, it's an amplified, for if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith activated and energized and expressed and working through love. So our faith will not work without the love of God. We're born again. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Praise, praise God. So I'm in love with you because he's in love with me. Let's just say it like it is. I'm in love with you, not because you're so lovely. You're in love with me. I'm going to say this by faith. You're in love with me, not because I'm so lovely, but because God loves you. And you can love me. I can love you. We can love one another. So that's what we have to give. I love the scripture that says, for ye are bought with a price, ye are not your own. We can do anything. Amen.
So when we go to get healed, when we go to speak to the mountain, when we go to, with the need of any kind in our life, we've always said, well, go study the healing scriptures, go study the prosperity scriptures, the supply scriptures. But actually, we should go to the love scriptures and we should qualify ourselves. If he loves me, what difference does it make how he's going to get it to me and how he's going to do it? He loves me and God loves me to the overflow unconditionally. He loves me like he loves Jesus. That's all I need to know. And you can get healed every time. Amen. Well, let's stand up and sing another song.